This is the final word, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. The weekly edition, we've got another test match ahead of us here at Leeds, Headingley, the home of cricket, as they call it in Yorkshire. Not, do they? Not the, yeah, they do. It's, it's kind of one of those things that, it, it, that he's said between okay. Yorkshiremen and Yorkshire women that, that it is the home of cricket. I mean, I've never really been compelled really? by the argument, but I do love the fact that it's like a proper Ashes venue we're looking at here, you know. 81, 89, stand out in the memory for different reasons, of course. Bob Willis and Ian Botham and Mark Taylor and Jeff Marsh and then Ricky Ponting in 97, mm. first 100 against England. 19, I was going to 2001, Mark Butcher. Um, 1948, of course, the, the famous chase here with uh, Morris and Bradman and Neil Harvey, of course, uh, playing in his first series. I don't think it was his first test, but certainly his first mm. series when they chased down 403 in a day. So a lot has happened here in Ashes cricket over the journey. 2009 when Stuart Clark bowled out England in a day and a half. I think Mitchell Johnson took five for in the second innings. 2013, Australia didn't lose a test here. 2015, Australia didn't lose they a test They successfully here. avoided losing test yep. matches here in both 13, both 13 and, 15. and 15. So this is actually my first Ashes test at Headingley. Yep. I think I've been to a one-day game here. We did. We came to. We did a reenactment on the ground here in front of us. Oh, this was is this the ground the... where Glenn Maxwell uh, took a, um, a scarcely believable catch on the boundary line, which required us uh, to go downstairs and reenact it for video at Stumps, which was a most enjoyable experience. <laughs> which who knows where that is? It's probably buried deep in the ABC Grandstand Facebook page somewhere. If you yeah. if you scrolled back for four years worth of quality content, <laughs> I did find it maybe a year ago for something I was putting together of our. Work and I found that video from us on the ground. The audio, we were using a microphone, but obviously I think by that stage we'd lost the cord or whatever, so we were using the microphone for effect. Purely so as a prop. So it looked like we were talking into a mic, and we thought that was kind of working. <laughs> we thought that was, uh, we were duping people back We're home, just shouting not. really loudly into yeah. this microphone, which definitely works. Yeah, yeah, that, that definitely happens. So Lucky we didn't have Jeremy Coney there doing the like, is this on? Is this on? And yes. Like punching the mic. Yes, yes, that's from our, uh, what was that? That was our end of World Cup extravaganza, which was yeah. a lot of fun. But yes, we're here for the third test. Australia won nil up. We're not going to talk an awful lot about the cricket because that will give this podcast very limited shelf life. You'll be listening to this hopefully the day before the test or the day of the test even. I hope you're listening to this in 2033 yes. and uh, somebody somebody's listening back to, to our oeuvre um, you know, we've become notorious for some reason. We've done something for good or ill, and and people are, are saying, "Ah, oh, remember these these vintage podcasts back in the day? <laughs> They'll be like the vinyl of the future yeah, podcasts." Yeah. No, no, I listen to uh, cricket podcasts from twenty nineteen, <laughs> and somebody will be impressing someone else or failing to impress someone else with that information. Yeah, yeah. So we won't spend too long on spe- selection speculation on that basis, other than to say that my mail is that Pattinson's going to play and Siddle won't. That seems fairly logical. I would have considered making a second change and including Michael Nisa, but, hey, you can't have it all. You can't have it all in this game. You can't have the selections you want. Nisa has done everything right, but it feels as though they're going to replace Siddle with Pattinson and and have Hazelwood playing that containing role, which Siddle's been there for in the last couple of tests. It didn't work out too well in 2015, I should add, but Hazelwood is a vastly improved bowler since then too. What's the song, Adam? You don't always get what you want. You don't always get what you want. Get um, what you need is the, is the tail end of that. So maybe what Australia needs is James Pattinson. I certainly think that the fact that it's going to be a is slow... Is it Neil Finn? Where, where's, is it? Where's you my can't brain always going? get what you, you want. don't always get what you want. I, I can't remember. Maybe, yeah. It's, it's, it's the Rolling Stones. I don't know. Yeah, it's okay. Oh. <laughs> uh, it's okay. We're, we're here I'm now. tired. I don't mind. Um, so we're going to avoid selection speculation. It looks like England have, you know, done enough to clear Jason Roy's fit after his episode in the Nets yesterday with the dog slinger. Um, who would have thought you used that nomenclature around what cricket a, twenty years ago? What a good nickname that would be for someone, though. Like, like I'm thinking. Um, uh, so I've been watching a, a web series called um, uh, based around a character called Mick Nolan who wears high-vis to the pub even on days off because he's like, nah, you're wearing high-vis to the pub. It means that no one could be mad at you for, like, dog and work, you know, because <laughs> if they come in at 10 in the morning and you're in their high-vis, they're like, fair enough, you know. <laughs> Leave the man alone. He's just got off work. Um, yeah, yeah. But if you're not, then they go, oh, who's this? Who's this dog bludger, you know. Um, 
So in that sort of sense, maybe someone called the dog slinger would work. You know, here he comes. Here he go- Oh, here he is. Look out. The dog slinger. Oh, he's in. Oh, the dog slinger. Here to sling some dogs. I don't know what it would mean, but it would be good. Well, there, there is a professional dog slinger on the England tour. So mm. they have a fella whose name I can't recall anymore, who his job is to tour around with the England team because he's left arm and there's not many left arm slingers and the reason they brought him on tour was because they were preparing for Mitchell Stark to play. Right. And, of course, Mitchell Stark has not been playing and probably won't play tomorrow. So <laughs> they have, they have, they're equipped for it in terms of their slinging. Yeah. The Southpaw slinger wow. is there ready to roll at any point, but it doesn't look like Mitchell Stark will get that opportunity. He'll be, he'll be probably – Stark was pretty good after Worcester about not having played it. Birmingham. He was pretty composed and relaxed and saying the team things and talking the right talk. Mm. But having then subsequently missed Lords and now probably Leeds as well, it'll mean that if Australia were to win here and wrap up the Ashes, it would mean he hasn't played a role in a live test in the series. Maybe he might get a little bit grumpy. Mm, I get the feeling that Twitter might just get a bit of a workout at some point. A little sort of of Kurt 11.30 at night number. What I would say we should reflect on quickly, Jeff, before getting into some other business, is that Stephen Smith has been ruled out by, through the concussion process. In England cricket, at six days. In the Australian setup, there's no specified period of time. It is possible, and our colleague Barat Sanderason, who has been on the show before a couple of times, has uh, explained to us through one of his pieces last night that had it been Friday, Smith would have played. So his argument is that why are there only three days between test matches? Now they've got the concussion protocol in place. Maybe there should be a minimum of four days to allow players to get over concussion to acquire them in the test before. Why? Well, I think that the four days is the mark that CA have been so, using. That's like saying like there should be two weeks in between so that they can get over a hamstring strain. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. It's, it's an injury. Yeah. You get injuries. Do you, what do you think about this, uh, this line of questioning about whether there should be subs... Allowed for, for other, other injuries. Other injuries. I haven't it, thought about it too much, but now that I do think about it, like why should concussion? I get why it's important yeah. that you are not given the incentive to come back if you concuss. And Tim Payne answered that question really nicely yep. at the press conference today. But like, is there? A, is there? A, I mean, maybe a guy with a broken hand might come out at nine down. Graham Smith famously mm-hmm. walked out at nine down with a broken hand and could have done untold damage had he got struck there again. Like maybe there is a, a broader conversation to be had around subs. I think it's one of those questions that makes a lot of sense on a very first glance and then immediately doesn't once you look a bit deeper because, yeah, you can say, well, why should a team be disadvantaged in losing a player to a broken leg or a a hamstring or whatever it might be? Um, None of those things are going to kill you. If you're hit on the hand again, it might be bad for your hand, but you're not going to die. And part of part of elite sport in any version and, and part of cricket particularly is that you do take risks with your body, you take risks with your health to a degree, but this is a mitigating thing that says if someone's concussed and they get hit in the head in the same spot, you can kill them. Yeah, and, no, I th- yeah that, that's perfectly sensible. Tim Payne made a similar point about, you know, it's separate, it's, it's different when it's concussion, and, and, yeah. and he's right. I mean, I... But I, I, I if you, if you have a torn whether... hamstring and you tear it going for a second run when you're batting with a torn hamstring, you have a worsely torn hamstring. Yeah, you know, I suppose. It's, you're not going to die. But it's up to you to go within the limitations. But, but, I mean, the other thing is that if you have a broken leg, you can't really go out there and do it. So you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be allowed to go and run up and down the pitch batting with a broken leg. No one's mm. going to let you do it because obviously you've, you'll, you'll injure yourself um, worse. But when you've got a concussion, because it's not outwardly obviously physical it's really easy to say i'll be right and i think yeah. you know and tim Payne had the example of if you're nine down and there's one over to go it's really easy to go oh, well you know he just needs to see out a few balls like you can probably do it it's it's a lot easier to push someone out when they're concussed and it's a lot easier for a player who's had a head knock to say no 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 i'll be fine i'll be fine like steve smith mm. and push themselves back out there which they can't do if their legs in in a plaster cast true but because it's not external it, it's easier to think that they're okay or convince yourself they're okay or let them convince you they're okay and and this heads off all of those things by saying no it will not happen there'll be no temptation to push them back out there. remember when we were growing up concussion didn't sound like a very big thing like i remember as a yeah. football injury oh concussion oh well he'll be back next week there, there wasn't even a second thought given to it I, no and and as far as batting's concerned we've seen so many players sit on the helmet 
over the journey and they just carried on, didn't they? It's, it's one of those things that, with the benefit of hindsight, there's probably a lot of professional sports people who've done very dangerous things while concussed. Oh, there are. I mean, you, you know, you talk th- those interviews with Greg Williams, the Carlton footballer, yeah. saying, I can't remember any of the flags I played. Can't remember, can't remember 95, the Just, 95 premiership. Didn't remember the grand final. No. It's awful, really. Yeah. Because of being hit in the head that many times. The Aaron Hernandez case, the NFL player who, who was yep. put away for murder, but when the when they actually you know did the post-mortem on him after he died he's the the cbt the the brain trauma um cerebrum trauma that he had was so advanced and so extreme that you know they had neurologists um, examining saying that they'd never seen a case this bad Mm. and he was 27 years old it's like it's horrific what you can do to your brain when by repeated head knocks and NFL's terrible for it because because they're wearing helmets and they clash their heads together and they use their heads as battering rams it's just nuts and oh, that then, was the scariest part I played American football when I was in high school in yeah. the states in 2001 and I was not so much scared about the contact of body on body cause, you know we're conditioned to that from playing um, footy growing up it was the it was the equipment on equipment stuff I mean I had mm. my head hit other people's heads several times in, in you know in the yeah. in the way the games played and it used to it, it would shake me not so much that it hurt it didn't hurt yeah. it was more just the idea of having your head hit someone else's head yeah. with a helmet it, it, would, it would freak me out and you, that's how you're trained to play the game anyway it's all very deep for an issue for an episode that I didn't think would be very deep I buried the lead in the intro here Jeff as well um, that we have Andrew Sampson on the show today. We've got Andrew Sampson playing Nerd Pledge Quiz with us. We did it with Daniel Norcross during the World Cup. We thought we'd reprise it. It ended up being more a collaborative effort than a, than a, than a competition, mm-hmm. but it was worth doing. Andrew Sampson, of course, being the foremost cricket statistician in the world. Um, he's the scorer for Test Match Special. He's the scorer and statistician for SCN Test Match Cricket in Australia during the Southern Summer. Uh, and he's just a, one of the people that I've taken an enormous amount of joy in befriending over the last four or five years in the industry because he just knows everything. He knows everything. He, um, I, I've used this line a couple of times with the the Australian poet Adam Gibson, who just has a, a line in one of his songs, where song poems, where he says, "I remember everything. I remember everything." <laughs> and that's Andrew Sampson. He, he yeah, does. <laughs> he does. Some of the stats. Some we've, we've pre-recorded with Andrew. Some of the some of the bits of knowledge he imparts on us along the way. Forgetting about the numbers, just like. The stuff he just knows, the stuff you can't use a database to drum up. You just got to know it or you don't. And more often than not, it's the former for him. So uh, that's coming up in the second half. We're going to go through a few other issues. Before doing so, we should recap the live show that was about a week and a half ago at time mm-hmm. of recording. That was so much fun. Thank you again to the Hampstead Cricket Club, to Nick Brown, the chairman, for putting us up and looking after us, uh, to, Jay, to Jim Maxwell, who was rollicking and um, very Jim and very good, yep. um, and then Mitchell Johnson, who I have to say, I think when we, uh, I think I said this to him on the night, when, when we used to sit on the other side of the press conference bench to Mitch, didn't always give us an awful lot, and now he's transitioned into the media. What a gem. Oh, he's uh, one of the greatest things of last week was... Mitchell Johnson's work at Lords, you know, not just with us before the before the game, but also what he did during the Test match. His insight on Jofra Archer, on bowling fast, on um, on on that sort of balance between fear, you know, engendering fear in others, but also having fear yourself. Um, you know, the the way that he understood what where Archer was coming from when he when he hit Steve Smith. There were so many um, moments out there where where Mitchell Johnson was really insightful and and funny and humane and he was all of those things when he came and did our show so. yeah it was such a welcome contrast i mean just pressing fast forward to the test match and, and the archer smith situation that you get the hot takes from you know gibberers at home and um, we talked about it at the time but there were some disgraceful pieces of writing that did the rounds in the immediate aftermath about joffra archer little wonder uh, and then we saw mark war who came out and you know had a pop and said oh he should be playing for the west indies when archer picked up uh, Kawaja and, and uh, Warner in quick succession or other way around it was Warner than Kawaja but then you see a Mitchell Johnson column in an English newspaper uh, yesterday I think it was explaining that the criticism of Archer at the time was 
not founded on anything and explaining it and going into great detail. As I put on Twitter at the time, I can't wait for someone to call him un-Australian yeah. for, for saying that, but he, he did a fantastic job. Uh, and, yeah, with the live show, he was a ripper. Um, the crowd was awesome. Mitch stayed till 1 o'clock with the, with the Hampstead members, having a few beers with them, and they were great. The members loved it. Of course, the, the, you know, the loyal Final Word listeners yeah. that came out and, um, and, and on, a, on a wet night and, and, and hung out with us for several hours. It was so much fun. That was the most amazing bit, actually, because he wasn't actually on the beers. Like, he was not drinking, but he was just hanging out in the bar and chatting about fast yep. bowling yep. with club bowlers till one in the morning. You know, stayed for about three hours after the show, chatted to everybody, photos with everybody, you know, did not need to do that, absolutely above and beyond the call and um, and was just having a great time. And due to the fact that it went so well, we did sell it out, we had capacity crowd, we had to stop selling tickets at one point, we're going to do it all again. Yeah. On the 2nd of September, two nights before the Manchester Old Trafford Test Match at Woodhouse's Cricket Club in Manchester, mm-hmm. who've kindly uh, offered their, their facility there to us to do the show. We're going again. So if you didn't come to the London show and, and you want to be part of the Final Word Live, the, there'll be a chance in Manchester. By the time that you're listening to this podcast, we'll have the website ticket details updated so you can jump on the link. We'll tweet it out, put it on Facebook in the usual way. It'll be all over finalwordcricket.com yep. and jump on and buy a ticket because, you know, based on the example of a couple of weeks ago, we'll probably sell it out. So get in quick. <laughs> You'll be thoroughly entertained. We've People have asked us about releasing the other one. We did make the executive decision not to release the other one because basically we don't want Jim up on felony charges in various countries. Um, so, so we've decided to keep the, the content of that to um, to within the room. What do they say? Chatham House rules. Yeah, yeah it had to be, be a close shop thing. We won't put it out, but uh, all the more reason to, to come along if you can. Um, Woodhouse's Cricket Club, which is uh, Mike Atherton's club when he was growing up. It's where he's from in that part of Manchester. Um, Jim Maxwell we, will be with us again. It'll be the second of September to repeat that date, half past seven. It was so much fun uh, at Hampstead as it was at the commercial club in Fitzroy when we did it in January. So we're going to give it a third go and and, and hopefully, yeah, we, we get plenty of people down and, and have another good night. A few items on our agenda before we get to Andrew Sampson. Uh, the women's cricket world will be playing at the Commonwealth Games. T20 will be the format. You dug this story out, Adam? I did when it first came out back late last year. Um, it was interesting to realise that they were quickly pulling together a propose, proposal to get cricket into the Com Games, the women's T20 version of it, for 2022. So there was a change of venue. So the original plan was for the Com Games to be in Durban in 2022. That got changed to Birmingham, which gave the local organising committee a degree of latitude for which additional sports were added to the roster, which gave cricket an opportunity to make this bid. And they were successful. So to Claire Connor and her team um, at, at ECB headquarters, along with the ICC, they did it quickly. They presented to them a couple of times. And, the, and last week it was confirmed that it's over the line. So, you know, cricket being in the Com Games in and of itself, you could debate that point, I, you know, People can question whether multi-sport multi, multi events is the right place for cricket. Forget about that for a second. It's going to be on BBC. Would Would, does anyone have enough time in their lives to worry about what's in the Commonwealth get, Games or not? People get very angry about cricket in the Olympics. I've learned... Why? Uh, well, there's a lot of people out there who will yell very loudly that cricket shouldn't be in the Olympics and will scream at you when you bring it up on Twitter. Are they, Trust like, me. From the Olympic side or from the cricket side? From the cricket side. There are a lot of cricket people who think that cricket in the Olympics is a disgrace. Why? Uh, their argument boils down to the fact that we don't need another tournament. We've got enough already and that it's not tr- a traditional Olympic sport. So why would you... You know, there's a lot of... Like semant- skating and rock climbing, oh, <laughs> the traditional yeah. Olympic yeah, sports. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is that that's a, that's a debate that people have. Okay. I don't... You know, but all I would point to on this is that yeah. women's cricket on the BBC, which is what the Com Games are on over here, every single night for two weeks, what a triumph. Like, that is a huge... Yeah huge opportunity for the women's game here and if, if they can nail it uh, then how good will that be imagine but they won't need it Adam they will have had the 100 by then yeah. like a couple of years of the 100 um, yeah. everyone, will be, everyone will be playing cricket watching well, there cricket there are going to be a few women's games on TV in the 100 I, I yes. do grant that but this is a this is a this is different gravy so well done to all involved on that there's other women's cricket news uh, during the week that uh, Mark Robinson has been jettisoned as the England coach which um yeah. Well, uh, we don't know a lot about it yet, so I'm not going to go too hard. But it's <laughs> the guy took him to a world championship two years ago. They won the World Cup with a side that had really no right to be anywhere at that point of their development. He made big bold calls at the start of his tenure in pensioning off Charlotte Edwards and Lydia Greenway. Um, he brought 
players through who were in the national squad for a long time in the amateur semi-pro era and with professionalism he turned them into world beaters I'm thinking of Tammy Beaumont Natalie Siver to a lesser extent Lauren Winfield um, Georgia Elvis is another one these cricketers who'd been around but could never break through and under Robinson's tutelage they were able to do so so on that basis, I'm surprised that on the back of, yes, one very bad series against Australia where a lot of the structural um, impediments, I suppose, have been have been highlighted, especially mm. the domestic system. The last five years, Australia's domestic system has been galloping away and England just haven't had that same degree of investment, although I should add they're, they're, they're reconciling that next year by starting a whole new um, competition and structure and so forth for the women's game at a domestic level. But that will take time to to wash through and Australia are at this distinct advantage right now and and as a consequence they did yeah. flog England in the women's ashes but I didn't think Robinson would be the head on the stick. I also wondered, I mean we did talk about the structural problems a lot and there is that difference but also the team that they got flogged with was largely a team that had performed a couple of years ago. You know, they, they were good players. You don't like... I mean, Tammy Beaumont made 101 of the ODIs and yep. didn't do a whole lot in the other games. You know, Nat Siver didn't have an impact. Um, quality players didn't deliver, Sarah Taylor. That's not a structural problem if your best players don't play well. Your best players don't start playing badly because there's no women's county cricket or because... Yeah, you know, well, well, I mean, I think... Well, yeah, that, whilst that's true, I think that they when they were on the... I think what basically happened in that series was when they were washed up after the third one day, everything fell apart. Like, you know what it's like when you often, in a, yeah. in a, you know, when, when things are going bad, often the margin looks worse than the performance actually was. Right. And I think that was the way it was trending. Look, Siva and Beaumont did make contributions. Like you say, Siva batted excellently at Leicester and and in the test match as well. And, and we saw, of course, Beaumont make the 100 in the, in the second ODI. But... Um, yeah, they're two players who've been wisdom cricketers of the year in the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, World they're just Cup names side. out of the hat. I'm just saying no, yeah, 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 yeah. there were lots of senior players who didn't do much. Now, is that, you know, maybe it is related to structure because you don't have sort of competition. You don't have, like, you're basically guaranteed a spot once you get into that England 11 for, you know, once you sort of establish yourself there's not a great deal of pressure to dislodge you. I don't know. Possibly, I mean, well, spitballing. There, there has been, there has been some, um, there has been some criticism that the, the, the next generation haven't quite had the chance to get the opportunities they may have at the right time. Like they haven't picked the fruit when it was ripe. Yeah, um, Maddie Villiers is an example where they've been saying for a year or so now get her into the team, and and it, and it did happen in the last T Twenty, and yeah. and she did well, which felt too late. It did feel too late, but. Um, yeah, look, it's, it is a couple. You're right that most of the players in that England squad in the Women's Ashes were world champions two years ago. And indeed, they made the World T20 final despite the fact that Catherine Brunt and Sarah Taylor both weren't available for the tournament. Um, Brunt getting injured when yeah. they arrived in the, in the, in the warm up game last year. So, uh, look, it, it just seems to me like they're getting rid of a guy who. Mm. The other part with Robinson, which always stood out to me, was whenever interviewing that players in that side, was the paternal side of it. They used to talk so glowingly about the way that he was more than just a cricket coach. He was like someone they like genuinely sort of depended on and had a, you know, a, a warmth that sort of extended yeah. beyond the, the cricket pitch. And like you, the, those sorts of personalities don't grow on mm. trees. Like he's a special guy, clearly, and clearly a hard taskmaster too, by the way. There's no question that he worked them hard and, 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 and criticised them heavily. But there, there seems to be – he managed to – um, balance that pretty well and now they have to find a new coach and they have how long until the women's world t20 six months like they're basically pulling this together before a global tournament there's no good time to sack a coach but hmm, yes curious mm, well you know i guess justin langer didn't have very long in the job before he was i suppose yeah yeah that's never a good Cup. time we are just to round out women's cricket before we move on to uh, some retirement chat, uh, the WBBL and WNCL uh, fixtures have been released in the last few weeks. There's an extra round of WNCL, I think it is, across yeah. the board. WBBL has its exclusivity window for the first time. that will start in October. It'll wrap up in December. So it's not all in October, which I thought it would be. But anyway, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a step in the right direction that they are uh, decoupled the competition from the men so that yeah. it will get that opportunity to breathe in its own right. Well, they're basically doing a sort of big carnival thing with the Women's Big Bash where it'll be weekend-based 
you know, almost, I think it's all of the teams really playing each other across a weekend that starts in October. So there'll be a big Sydney weekend to open, a big Brisbane weekend, then a Perth weekend, then Adelaide, Sydney again, Hobart and Melbourne. And that's kind of how it works across seven weekends consecutively or six, whatever Yeah, it is. I think that's right. And they've got the games either side of that. But those carnival weekends work really well. At the Junction Oval last year for the the season opener wasn't it last year at just after the World T20 that was awesome there was more people there than I'd ever seen of the WBBL game and then the standalone semi-finals and final were a, a complete triumph like usually the semi-finals have been curtain raises to the men as had the final mm. and they had no control over where the games were going to be played and all this other you yeah. know um, second rate nonsense that, that they hadn't really considered but now they've really taken a step forward those games at Leichhardt over where they were literally sellouts yeah that um, crazy photo of the um the Women's World Cup final from 10 years earlier when there was no one there and yeah. then the WBBL final when it was packed. Yeah. You yeah. know, every, yeah. like, properly put up the sellout signs That's good. for the final. So... Good. Lots, lots of like about that. I think they've got that bang on. Yeah, well, I, I hope it works um, because it, it seems to set it up to give it the best opportunity and it creates that bit of scarcity as well in that if you're a fan in Brisbane, you will go to that weekend because yep. that's the weekend you've got to go. It's not like there are nine games here or there um, that, that you could be going to in your home city. It's like, go to that weekend. You'll get to see everyone. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter which team you support or, you know, which players you're into because they'll all be there. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic that that's going to work well. The only problem is that the um, the Melbourne weekend clashes with the Adelaide test. So mm. uh, that's pretty grim. I might stay in Melbourne. I've already booked for the Adelaide test. I didn't yeah. realise they clashed. Uh, oh, well. I didn't need it until I, was, until I was looking at, um, at the schedule for the summer and, and where I was going. So, I don't know. Maybe it's a stay-home weekend. We'll see. Uh, retirement. Dale Stain and Brendan McCullum. Oof. Dale Stain bowled the best spell I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Perth 2012 to the, in Ricky Ponting's last test match. I will never see a better spell of fast bowling than that. I can safely say. Um, what a cricketer. What a competitor. What a way he would celebrate. Um, the way that he lived through the game like it, it just yeah I, I that he was a, well, I mean his numbers tell one story but watching it play out um, it was a joy he also did a lot for the sales of hot pink medical tape um, <laughs> that sort of elbow stripe that he used to wear that was that seemed a bit incongruous with his personality but I liked that um, I liked that incongruity he hasn't retired from white ball though so he's he's retired yep. from test cricket but he's still in theory available for some of the short stuff he's available just available for the IPL as well I'm sure I'm sure but <laughs> but um, I mean why not if you if you're earning South African rand no absolutely <laughs> all more power to you to go get those US dollars chase those greenbacks baby um Bill your boots. he just can't get through a game and he's was very very sad about it cuz he he was very open about saying I love test cricket more than all of the other crickets put together but I can't do it. I just can't do it anymore. And Brendan McCullum was the other retirement last week. And we had the great fortune of watching the last handful of his test matches and the one at Christchurch at Hagley Oval will, again, live with us for a long time. The 54-ball ton, which I came within one over of commentating on radio. I had this great moment where, well, I say great in hindsight. I wish I had have gone the other way. But when you're in the commentary box and the, and the clock strikes 20 or 40 or 60 and, and your stint is up, you, the etiquette is you finish the over and you handball over to, to the next person. And on that afternoon, I was on air from McCullum in 20 minutes moving from 48 to 82. He was going like mad. And then the clock was just about to strike the 20, just about to strike the top of the hour. And I made way uh, for my colleague that week to, to see him through to the 100. But in that over, had I waited one more over, he went from 82 to 100 in five balls. So <laughs> had I hung on. But, but more to the point, what I really remember about that, that, that week, I remember a lot of things about that week, but one thing stands out. I was walking past him with Brian Waddle the day before the test, his final test, and I made some comment about, you know, are you looking forward to tomorrow morning? And he said to me, I'm going to fuck him up. <laughs> and I did, I know, at the time, I, I think I was asking more about the bowlers, yeah. but no, he was already there already. Yeah. He was always so, so good to interview and talk to McCullum. He, you know, he says what he reckons. He's a ripper. Um, what a career. And I know this is a, his international career has been over for several years, but the, the end of, you know, one of the yeah. most important, 20 over careers because of course he made that century in the first ever IPL game and well in in a, a bunch of other T20 comps besides the the Bash Brothers thing that he did mm. for Brisbane in the in the BBL and so on um, just bringing various competitions to life he was uh, he was completely 
completely free of fear, was mm. never afraid of failing. And that 2015 World Cup is the marker of that when he's going out and hitting, was it 72 off 22 balls or whatever it was for yeah, um, yeah. against England, those kind of innings, the way he took Mitchell Johnson and Mitchell Stark down at, at the game at, at Eden Park, you know, when he was 50 off 20-odd balls there as well, and that, that small run chase. But, yeah, that... That final, that test match innings where everything went over the wicketkeeper. I remember it came up the other week because we were talking about Rory Burns' 100 when I, I was getting the quick viz numbers on the, the least controlled centuries yeah. and they're like, this is number six. I said, what's number one? Brendan McCullough. Was like, of course it was. <laughs> but he meant it. <laughs> he was like, I know this is uncontrolled and I'm, I want to top edge this because they're all runs. So away he went. Speaking of white ball cricket, we've got one day internationals being played again between India and the West Indies. Didn't we just finish the World Cup? But one day cricket never stops, especially when it comes to the men in blue. They're, no. they're rebuilding, I suppose you would say, ahead of a, a tilt at a World Cup in what will be three and a half years' time. Also on white ball cricket, though, on one day cricket, Australia are back in England next year to play one day as and T20s. Yeah, would are. you believe? They're coming here for like the 74th year in a row. It's, it, I mean, Tim Wigmore tweeted today, and I agree with him, that this is not good for the England England Australian rivalry that Australia find an excuse to come here every year. Every yeah, I think they missed twenty fourteen. Maybe they didn't come. That was probably the only one. Twenty sixteen. I don't think it was the most recent time. But I mean, you go through it pretty much from two thousand and seven onwards. There's only a couple of yeah. years where they haven't found a reason to be in this country. Well, that's pretty much deliberate, though. Like, that's basically how they've set it up to work, is that is split off the one-day tours and the um, test match tours now so that England will be in Australia or Australia will be in England every one of the four years in the cycle. Mm. Um, and the same with India, so that each of them get a, you know, it's, it kind of makes it a bledder-slow sort of thing. You'll get an annual... Australia-England thing somewhere around the world um, and, you know, that's where they make their money. So, you know, in a way, I can't really argue with it. They'll be, it's they'll a fair be... time. I make my money as well, so I can't really <laughs> complain that much if I'm honest with you. But no, it did, it did strike me as odd when I had a look at the fixture list this morning. Like, oh, that's right. They're here again. For about two weeks. Yeah, like it, they're it's... playing. Well, they're, they're going via Bangladesh for test matches immediately before. I and they're going to Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe after, except it's not going to happen anymore. Yeah, so Zimbabwe is meant to be post-England. So I'll, I'll be in Bangladesh with them. And if they're in Zimbabwe, you better believe I'll be back in Zimbabwe. I love that last year. But um, yes, it's uh, at least we know a little bit more about what, what 2020 will hold for the both of us. I should just note um, on that India-West Indies thing, Coley's made ODI 100 number 42. Of course. So he's seven away from taking Tendulkar down. And he's, good. what, 30 years old? How good. Love it. <laughs> he's going to make 75. He's going to make 75. I'm looking forward 100s. to when he passes Tendulkar. Though. Oh, That'll be a great day. He'll do it within the year. The, the rate is going. Nonetheless, um, um, yeah, we, we, we had the, the Euroslam fell over. <laughs> that was yeah. a surprise, wasn't it? Well, oh, technically, was very technically, it's been postponed, but then again, wasn't the global T20 in South Africa technically postponed last year as well? Well, postponed forever. The, the T20, um, the, the Canada Global Slam, whatever the fuck it's called, the, yeah. the Canadian, the one in Toronto, where they had a game where the players refused to. They went on strike because they hadn't been paid, and the official line from the um, <laughs> the authorities was it had been postponed for technical reasons. <laughs> you know, technical reasons are we don't have any money and we haven't given it to our players, and they're refusing to play. It's the same mob, as I understand it, running the Canada. Thing, they are who are also running the Euro Slam. So what a surprise! If they didn't have any money in Canada, they probably don't have any money in Europe either. I feel really sorry for Scotland, the Netherlands, and, and Ireland because they had invested a lot of their marketing into this tournament and they've been badly let down. So hopefully it is a postponement and they get it off the ground next year. But they've done so much work with the draft and, I mean, the fact that Owen Morgan was off to play for Dublin. You know, there were a lot of really strong, positive storylines out of this and it would have been a potentially a really, you know, important competition for these nations that aren't on the main stage but not to be this year. Um, we're going to have Tim Wigmore and Freddie Wilde on the show in the next few weeks to talk about this very topic. They've written an excellent book. I've had the chance to go through a couple of chapters with them about mm. this, this issue, about the amalgamation of T20 leagues, about the future of T20 cricket. Uh, and this is a strong thread. That is, the amount of leagues we have right now isn't sustainable, and they go through the economics of it in that book. So we'll get them on the show, and they can tell us about it in a more authoritative way. The classic duo, Wild and Wigmore. Wigmore and Wild. <laughs> we need a third W, so we have the three Ws of cricket writing. Another one of the um, the Crickviz Factory with with Freddie Freddie Wilds writing a book as well. Ben, ben Jones also written a book. Everyone's so written a all book. The, all these youngsters are writing. All these books. Johnny Come Lately's just just trying to get on the book writing bandwagon. We've got enough books.
Enough cricket books. Steve Smith's man is available at bookshops near you. Indeed it is. And we'll have it at the Manchester Live Show. Would, <laughs> you, would, you, would you fucking believe that at the live show, Jeff didn't bring any copies of his book with Why him? would I bring my book? Unbelievable. Why would that even cross I would have mind? brought copies of the book and flogged them had I known. I would have organised it because you would have made a truckload of money. That's I'm why. Just, they would have yeah, bought your book. You I'm would have signed not, the books. I'm not in it for the money, Adam. <laughs> I'm not in it for the money. Um, I'm in it for uh, the love. Uh, last little bit of white ball fodder. Pebble Florin was at Lord's the other day. He went from, well, Fox Cricket mocking him and all the rest of it on their Twitter account, which did have a kind of a, a knock-on effect, didn't it? The, I mean, you know, I think you can, whilst you can, I think Sam Perry made this point the other week, you can at, at the same time think that what was going on with him being on television bowling like that was slightly ridiculous and also appreciate that this guy's a bit of a legend. And yeah. um, he was a hosted, he was hosted by the MCC in the President's Box, I saw. He was in the press box at one stage. He was on Test Match Special. It reminded me of when Twitter user The Ashes got brought out to Australia in 2010. <laughs> 2011, her, her, um, her uh, bio yeah. on Twitter is "I'm not a cricket game." Right, um, but yeah, she she earned a lot of uh, a lot of fans in 10-11 on on social media and got flown out for the Melbourne and Sydney Test matches. And it feels like um, uh, Pavel is on a, on a similar trajectory at the moment. It's um, yeah, it's a bit of a balance. It's a little bit Eric the Eel Musambani, um, legend, where where people are just taking the piss out of someone who's not that good at the sport. But then they cross over the barrier somehow. They, they penetrate the cell wall from one to another, some sort of biological process, and then they become universally loved. <laughs> it's like, here's, here's this wacky bowling action. And, and now because people were being mean to him, everyone else is very protective of him. He goes, don't be mean to Pavel. He's doing the best he can, and he is. He's a Romanian bouncer with a broken leg, and he's, he's doing his best to bowl. And the president of his local cricket club. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of lovely parts of this, isn't there? Where well, was Eric the Yilmusambami from? Was it Equatorial Guinea? Guinea, I reckon. If you haven't, if you're one of our younger listeners and you're not familiar with that reference, it's to do with the 100 metres freestyle at the 2000 Sydney Olympic Games. Jump on YouTube yep. and just type in Eric the Eel and have yourself some fun. Which I'm going to say, for a guy who couldn't swim 50 metres, it was bold to go in the 100. <laughs> like, there is a shorter one. You could have gone in the shorter Well, one. you know what? You go and you go to his Wikipedia pages I have done from time to time. Uh, he went on to have a, you know, in the context of where he started, a, a halfway passable swimming career. Um, so, you know, he, he did start swimming the 100 metres in, you know, a, a time that was quicker than, in say, a, me at the time. Yeah, in, in, <laughs> eventually. In a, in, a, in a country that didn't have a 50-metre swimming no. pool anywhere in the country. So, yeah, that's right. you know, it's a bit of a tough... It really is a Jamaican bobsled team scenario when you're trying to train yourself to be to do something that you physically don't have the resources to do. That's just about the end of uh, Issues episode. It wasn't particularly weighty issues today. We stayed away from weighty ones in favour of light ones, but... Weighty talking, issues talking, involving <laughs> Matthew Wade. We've been talking... Weighty about issues. <laughs> Wadey's got some issues. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> that, that's it. That's, that's it, part it. one. That's the end of part one. I mean, we, we, we have, we have um, a guest coming up next week. Between times, there is the Daily Show, Jeff, which if you're not a listener to the Daily Show, that, that basically means you and I sit there for 15 minutes and tell you what happened on the day's play here at Leeds. The Daily Show will be your best way to get close to the action, Adam, or some way close to the action, halfway to the action. We will... Um interpretively dance the action for you in an audio <laughs> format. And before we get to Andrew Sampson, we should send a big cheerio to the Satphone Shop. They're the sponsors of the show this week. Um, as you might guess from a place called Satphone Shop, it's a shop where you can buy sat phones. Sat phones are satellite phones. I was going to say, so why don't you tell me all about satellite phones <laughs> and what they're capable of doing? I will. I will tell you about those things in a seamless uh, segue manner. <laughs> it's not actually a shop because it's a website. This is the magic of the wow. internet. It's like a shop that's not a building. Maybe they have buildings, I don't know, but they definitely have a website and it's satphoneshop.com. And you can go there and you can buy things that let you communicate uh, with people who are far away when you are far away. If you're someone who, for instance, is like, I think I'm going to ride a camel across the Simpson Desert. Um, and then you think, I would like to be able to not die if I get in a situation where I'm stuck in the middle of the desert. <laughs> if you do things like four-wheel driving or boating, they have marine packs, special, especially marine packs. I don't know what makes them marine, but they're probably 
salt water resistant. Yeah, yeah. maybe something yeah. like that would be suitable in a marine environment. <laughs> and and they connect to satellites in space and then connect you to something back on Earth. So you're not like looking at your one bar of Optus reception going, fuck, I hope this lasts because you don't need it because you've got space, baby. You've got space on your side. And uh, that means the universe is with you in a, in a really more, more present way. How could we use it, Jeff? I think you and I might. I mean, given that we're, we, we do a lot of interviews yeah. and a lot of final word content in different continents, this might be very useful for us. Yeah, we might be able to. Better wonder, than FaceTime. I wonder if we can just hook up real time off the satellites and just be talking to each other via something 16,000 kilometres up in space. That's how far these things are away. And uh, you can have a piece of it if you want to hook up your satellites. Um, they also have lots of good sort of outdoors gear like, you know, portable solar charging panels and things like that, which are pretty ace because you can just whack a solar panel, you know, that's, say, the size of an iPad on the roof of your car and then charge your phone up off it and that sort of thing. Happy um, days. When, when you're out in the... Which you would love. You, I know you like having your devices charged. One day, as my girlfriend says to me, I'm going to start a business <laughs> called Fully Charged and it's purely devoted around the idea of me making sure all of my Myriad devices are indeed fully charged. <laughs> 100%. He loves... And I've now moved over to making sure all, her, all of her devices are fully charged as well. Whenever I see her <laughs> faffing about with her iPad, I might, I might just bung the charger in for a might, wee bit. Might just plug with. that in. What do you think? 87? Yeah. 87? Yeah, it's 13 short of 100, you know. Or you could be, how sad are you going to be when you're on 3% and you think you've only had another 13? Well, you can. You can do that. This is um, the way I think. You can do that in the outback, Adam, with the solar chargers, um, the portable solar chargers. I like can, when we were at the Kookaburra Ball launch, the smart ball launch the other yeah. week, when they were, we, we learnt that you can charge the ball by putting it in a dock, like a, <laughs> like a spherical type uh, holder of sorts. So yeah. you imagine the umpire charging the ball, <laughs> you know, can you imagine, you know, tea right. break, the, the umpire just pops the ball on the charger? Surely all the devices are going to, um, you know, to, to have this wireless functionality at some point and therefore mm. fully charged will be much easier. Yeah, yeah, it'll be part of it. By the way, that, that's become rhyming slang around the county game, I should add. It was to put your phone on the Usman. <laughs> that's, that's a thing people say. That's when you know you've made it, when your, yeah, name, totally. has, when your name has become rhyming slang. Absolutely. It's, um, I hope it can become your rhyming slang. If you're final word listeners and, you, you know, pop your phone on the Usman now and get fully charged. There you go. There are a range of Usmans available at sapphoneshop.com. <laughs> um, and, and pick one up for yourself. The other thing I would like to have, it called, if you put the ball in the dock, is call it the Doc Brown. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That the flux be, capacitor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Options pop, galore here. Pop it in the Emmet. Yeah. You know? Oh, there's so much, so, much to, so much to pull out of that. So Ooh, much. Um, we should talk to Andrew Sampson. Hi, my name's Kate Cross, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam and Jeff. Now, we've got a couple of 206s here. Anthony Noel, or Anthony Noel, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to say that, but I'm going to go with the festive Christmas version. And why not? Anthony Noel and, uh, and James Tiernan have both sent through 206. Thank you both. Which is... You know, I, I'm guessing a score um, because there'd be a lot of just past 200 sort of scores. Yeah. Um, any, any that jump out at anyone? Only one for me, and that's Ravi Shastri, which I remember watching closely, oh, yeah. a famous yeah. 206 from Ravi Shane Warne's taboo when he <laughs> made, uh, well, rather when, when Warne uh, took one for 150, wasn't it, Andrew? Yep, one for 150. <laughs> and uh, Shane Warne being this man on debut who people were saying, oh, he's a, he's a leg spinner. He can also bat a bit. I remember yeah. that was part of the, the <laughs> narrative when Warne debuted. But, yeah. uh, of course, we know what happened next. But Shastri was, uh, that's his, well, perhaps his most most important test contribution. Lead. Yeah. Lead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ravi. The blow away in the wind like a tracer bullet. <laughs> a tracer bullet, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Um, if I don't have to hear Ravi speak at a press conference again, it'll be too soon. <laughs> well, he's been reappointed, so good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. It's quite a great list, actually. I've just looked up the 206s. There are 14 206s. Um, yeah. It's an esteemed list. Bill Brown is the first 206 in Test cricket. 1938 at Lords, of course, the other oh, yeah. the yeah. other half of the you know Mancad Bill Brown, the the one who means that the dismissal should actually be called being browned. Yes, some browned ten years at the before that. He was a young end. man in 1938. Young man. There's no need to feel down. I said, young man, your name is Bill Brown. I said, young man, won't you stay in your ground and you might have a good time. Len Hutton made 206 at the Oval in 49. Arthur Morris made 206 in Adelaide against England. Everton Weeks made 206. Which year was the Arthur Morris Arthur Morris was 1951. 1951, okay. Everton Weeks, Port of Spain. 
Javed Mandad in Karachi. So many good ones. Shastri, De Silva. And Where's the Mandad? Who's the Mandad one against? It is against New Zealand, New Zealand in Karachi. Yeah. Oh, right. I was going to say, there's the, isn't there a Mandad double hundred where he's um, against Australia in 88 where he's batting in a, in a Pepsi cap? I think that, Pepsi cap. Yeah, he's wearing a. He's wearing a. I yeah. think I can't remember who found this, but they found a photo of him mm. batting in a just in a in a just a cap with Pepsi written on the front of it. <laughs> I believe <laughs> really? this actually happened in our lifetime. <laughs> well, there are a few two o sixes that are in in your lifetime and more in your wheelhouse, Adam. What, Is there? You know, Did Ricky get one? Ricky, Ricky got a two o six. Very good. Yeah. Uh, Ricky's. Where was Ricky's? West Indies. Oh yes, Port of Spain again. Three. Yep. Two Port of Spain, two o sixes, Everton Weeks and Ricky Ponting. Oh, nice. Um, there's another one. Come on, there's more. Come um, on, you two. There's an, Between there's the another, two of you. There's another 206 of recent times. Oh, um, is it, it an England one? It is an England one. Um, it involves a city we've recently it, mentioned. I, okay, it's an Adelaide one, and it's not Peterson's. Oh, of course. Collingwood. Paul Collingwood's. Paul Collingwood, 206. I never should have declared. 2006, yeah. The amazing Adelaide. The day when I put declared. my name down at the Adelaide Oval waiting <laughs> list to become a member there that day. <laughs> that day, okay. It was that day. Was, that were inspired by Mr Collingwood, were you? I was. Uh, there's Gautam Gambier in 08 against Australia in Delhi, 206. Oh, yeah? And yeah. Uh, there's another in that part of the world that you would have watched, Andrew. Really? Yeah. You must have been there. I'm uh, sure you would have been there. Probably was. India... Pujara. Pujara got a 206. Che Pujara. 206, not out in Armour yeah, the Bad. That's right. First test of that. And your best mate, Tammy McBale, Adam. You're, you're, did uh, Tammy get runs he got 206, one, did he? Uh, no, yeah, 2015 against Pakistan. He oh. got a 206. So quite a few. Great on, bloke, Tammy. On the list. Uh, so Anthony and James, thank you for the 206. Anna Collins has come through with 542. What is 542? 542, Anna. Shares my surname, 542, 542, what could it possibly be? I'm going to suggest that it could be a cap because that's what they tend to be when they're a touch high, maybe an England cap. Who is, as I pad for time, oh, it's Nasser Hussain back in 1990, one of my faves, brilliant on television, lovely guy, played 14 years for England, 5,700 runs, top scorer 207. I hope it's Nasser. 542, I think it's... I think there's a much more niche stat that that you and I have written about before that's 542. Yeah, if we trace back a few years to the summer of 2016, 17, got my first real six string down at the five and dime, 16, played it till my so fingers bled. played Pakistan and they played... Adam Voges oh, played 15, the West 16. Indies. Adam Voges, the summer of the summer of Voges. The summer of Voges. Where he averaged 542 against the West Indies. That's right, yeah. After having made the the 100 against them in the West Indies and then made two more hundreds, including the fastest non-Saywag 100 of like 260 or more. Um, He he averaged 5.42 and still does against the West Indies and always will because I don't (laughs) think he'll play them again. Maybe they can roll him out of retirement to Captain Australia if Tim Payne was to leave the game prematurely. (laughs) Who knows English conditions? Adam Voges. Adam Adam Voges knows English (laughs) conditions. Get him out here. There's also, though, quite a famous five... For 42 that I think you also would have seen that Five Andrew. for 42. Um, in the context of we've just been watching Joffre Archer bowling terrifyingly fast. Mitchell Johnson. Mitchell what Johnson. Did he get? Is that Brisbane? Brisbane. Yeah. Five uh, yes. for 42. So the cauldron day when the clouds were mm. the clouds were coming in over Brisbane. I was in the. Well, I was going to say I was in one of the grandstands. You never know where you're sitting at the Gabba, do you? It's just a. It's just a mess circle of, of pocket seats. Yeah, yeah bucket I, seats. I was in one of those awful, um, awful parts of the ground together and watching Johnson run through England in that. And that, that, that to me was the quickest I've ever seen anyone bowl on the flesh, apart from this weekend. I think with Joffrey Archer, they're up on the same yep. on the podium together anyway. So it might be Voges, it might be Mitch Johnson, or it might be Nasser Hussain who had his <laughs> off stump pegged back by Mitchell Johnson in the nets at Lords. Oh yes, week. that's a nice link, isn't it? <laughs> which was which is hilarious. Good the TV. Be- the best bit being when they popped him in like the the Hawkeye the simulation that shows where the balls have been going. They said, these are all the balls that have been left outside off stump by player X, Y, and Z. And then they said, here's the bowling map for Hussain. And there was one delivery just halfway up off stump. Beautiful. <laughs> While he was on air, he was um, not entirely pleased, but, you know, he took it in good spirits. Now, there's one that you warned me about, Adam, because there's uh, Matt Nesham, or Nesham, uh, is, right. is someone you know, who said he was, yes. telling, he was posing as a real curly one. It was 273. Yes. And it's obviously not a score because no one's made 273, but it's something more difficult. And the hint was Rockfort, as in the cheese. The cheese, yes. Or the place. And that meant nothing to me. So 
Samo, this might be the first time we ask you to hit the database. What could 273 be? And if we can find a tangential link yeah. back to France or cheese, France, yeah. we might be <laughs> or a fort. over the line. Or a fort, indeed. The, um, the, the, the fort in Gaul. I don't think it's the highest score ever made by France, but you never know. That would be good if it were. Did they have France played cricket in a formal sense? Do they? Well, I, mean, they I know well, Germany they, have a team now. Well, they did at the Olympics. Olympics. When they, they were the silver medalists at the Olympic Games in 1900, France. Really? With England winning the gold. Devon, hard, Devon, Devon Wanderers, wasn't it? The England yeah. team. Yeah. Was, was that just a bunch of Brits who lived in France? Yep. It was a, half the French team were English. It's not quite as odd as the 1904 Olympics where one of those, um, um, what's the American History podcast we've listened to on long car journeys, Jeff, the dollop did a special on the 1904 Olympics which included some unbelievable sports over the space of nine months, but, you know. Nine months? They they played nine months worth of exhibition sports around the Olympic (laughs) Games. And the marathon was, that's the first time they ran the marathon. And mm. I mean, needless to say, a lot of them were drugged up on all sorts of things trying to get around the 42 kilometres. They would have been drugged up on laudanum and, you know, like powdered donkey hooves and yeah, shit. Yeah, and worse. Yeah. <laughs> Jellied eels. <laughs> oh, just inject a bunch of eels into my veins. Have, have you got anything for 273, oh, Andrew? I'm trying to have a look. France have played um, T20 internationals in the last year or so because, of course, all the ICC members now have official, official status. The great fig leaf from the ICC. We won't let you in the World Cup. We'll have 10 teams in the World Cup and make it nine impossible on that front. But we will give you all T20 status. It's um, a a trade-off, not so much. I'm looking for scores of 273. Um, Oh, Martin Love. Martin Love got a 273 for Durham. Lovely. Martin Martin Love. Love. But I don't know if he's got anything to do with Rockefeller, does he? Does does he? Could he? French Love, Paris proposing... Well, of course, the uh, scoring system in tennis where you say love comes from leuf as meaning the egg, meaning zero. Right, does it? Yeah, that's, that. that's, yeah. that's why you say love because they can't... Um, Maybe that's the connection. Because it's all about the, the earth, um, as in the joke, why don't French people have two eggs for breakfast? Because one is an earth. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I so, mean, I mean, that would be very tenuous.
put in the classic Nelson one one one. Is there any other cricketing well, significance aside from David Shepherd standing on one leg? And that's how many balls it took England to bowl Australia out for Trent Bridge in 2015. <laughs> of course, the, fam- the famous tweet came out because it fit only 140 characters in a tweet in those days. And it did it easily, didn't it? Fit in you can get it in there four times now if they bowled it. Uh, I'll, 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 I think we can take that. That's going to be... One 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 balls at Trent Bridge in 2015. That's that's got to be yep. We'll pretty take close that. to the mark there from Alex? Alex. Thank you, Alex. Shannon Blackmore, one forty five. Well, Dean Jones at the Gabba in 1990 against England stands out to me as a childhood number there. Yeah, that was a brilliant hundred, smashing him over the dog track time and time again. So, I'd love to get Dean Jones in there. I saw that Rob Moody, the great archivist oh, yeah. um, this week found footage of Dean Jones making 100 for the World Eleven against Australia the week after they lost the World Cup final against Sri Lanka in 1996 and I was re- I remember well sitting in the bottom deck of the southern stand watching that Jones innings and, and thinking it was retribution of sorts for being left out of that World Cup squad inexplicably left out of that World Cup squad and he stuck it to Australia and brought up the 100 with a, a six into the southern stand dancing at Mark Warren for us as kids it was the greatest thing we'd ever seen <laughs> fantastic <laughs> I reckon I reckon we do a couple more Adam what do you think let's do it who was 145 by the way Shannon Blackmore Shannon thank you so much for being part of it Sean McGiven 230 235 feels like a score. 235 feels like a thing. In terms of the other numbers it might relate to, I don't think it's going to be the Australian. We don't get many cap numbers out of the English because there's so many of them. Douglas Jardine, though, is the 235th player to play for England in Test cricket. How could it not be Douglas Jardine? 22 Test matches, but... One of the most important leaders of that side, of Not course. very popular in Australia. Regaining the ashes in Australia in 1932-33. 235. You also would have seen a 235 yeah, I think not I that have. long I'm ago, Andrew. Trying to rem- I'm trying to remember where, the, where I saw... Coley? Alistair Coley? Coley, Coley in 16? That's it. Coley in 16. In Mumbai. What did Cook get there? At the Wankaday Stadium? Cook 236, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Cook 235 Cook. in Brisbane. Cook 235 oh, yes, in Brisbane. Oh, yes, of course, of course. And uh, Ian Bell, 235 at the Oval. So those would all have been in your time. Let's see. Uh, our last one. Is Damon coming just taunting me? Here's another 216. I've been, we've had so many 216s. Yeah. And I keep saying Clary Grimmett's t- tally of test yeah. wickets. And it keeps not being that because everyone finds another way to have it be 216 without <laughs> being that. That's not fair. So Damon, I hope this is Clary Grimmett. It better be Clary Grimmett. Let it, I'm just going to say it is. It's Clary Grimmett, Damon. We're going on. Thank you, Damon. And I love you for doing that. We, uh, we, don't we, take it away from We were from talking me. about Clary Grimmett before you arrived, actually, uh, Jeff, in that Yassir Shah reached 200 wickets before Clary Grimmett, which says a fair bit about the strike rate he's been going at. Yeah, long-standing record that went that. Well, let's do one more because okay, I'm just, one more. I've unilaterally decided that Damon is Clary Grimmett and I'm not going to let you discuss it. Greg Kennedy, 223. 223, another score which I reckon I've seen a 223 in the flesh. I reckon 223 is sort of test scores. There might be someone we've already had today. In terms of cap number? No, in terms or of, innings. In terms of um, someone else who made a different score that we've already had today. Oh, right. So we've had Ravi Shastri. We've had, uh, we've had Rat Coley. We've a had very obvious one. We've had Ricky Ponting. Who made a lot of double hundreds? Ricky Ponting? Wow, well, someone Donald Bradman? <laughs> 223 against the West Indies in Brisbane in 1931. Oh. Oh, yes, that's right. Was that at the Echo? Uh, or was no. that they, at the Gabba by No, that was, they were at the Gabba by then. Ali played the, the first test that he played yep. was at the Gabba before they moved to the other side of the river, I think it is, in Brisbane by that point. You're down south towards the, the, the Wall and Gabba. And it's also, here's a nice little link, George Headley. Yep. Often spoken of in the same bracket as Bradman, yep. uh, was yep. also made a 223 against England. That sounds right, yeah. In Kingston. Beautiful. So maybe that's it. I think that's enough nerd pledge. Sort of less quiz than detective work co- collaboratively. It was a team effort today. Yeah, I don't think we like went head to head as such, Andrew, as we worked it all out together, which as it should be, uh, given that you're, uh, you're so collaborative in your day job, <laughs> making other people sound a lot smarter than we are with the amazing uh, statistical support and. Uh, and conversation that you provide with us whenever we've got something that we need to know you're the first person I come to and uh, somebody has to do it I suppose and, yeah. your, and your work on TMS really is amazing so if you get the chance to listen to Andrew through the duration of the Ashes series and beyond where are you this winter you're in Melbourne of course with SEN, SEN um, yeah. covering the, the test series as you did last year so you'll be uh, covering 
uh, Australia, Pakistan, and uh, well, Australia, New Zealand. I won't be doing Australia, Pakistan because that clashes with uh, England and New Zealand. So oh, I'll be right, with TMS in New Zealand for those two tests. Okay, and then so Taronga, New, another new venue. So from New Zealand to Australia, a new venue. Which new venue? Sorry, Taronga. Oh, Mount Monganui. Oh, Mount Monganui get the test yeah, match. first test match, yeah. Oh, so, and so you'll be at it. Love a new venue, yeah. We, we had a new venue. We had two new venues together last year, didn't we, Andrew? Yeah. Canberra, Canberra and, and the, the Perth the football in, stadium. Yeah, the new one in Perth, <laughs> Perth football stadium, yeah. Well, the Perth casino stadium. <laughs> the Perth casino stadium, yeah. Whatever that monstrosity is. <laughs> That's another, another... The one with the floorboards underneath, which when Joffre Archer gets here in a couple of years, all hell's going to break loose. Well, that'd be interesting, loose. yeah. Another well, circle of bucket seats. Yes, yeah. Um, just make sure everyone's wearing a suit of armour when they go out. This uh, has been Nerd Pledge quiz of sorts. Thank you to everybody, all of the, the Nerd Pledges. If you want to send us a number to try to stump us, you can go to patreon.com slash the final word and you can sign up to the podcast throw a, a dollar something in the tin and uh, see if we can figure out what you mean hello i'm jared waitley join us on the final word podcast this is the final word adam collins jeff lemon we hope you enjoyed that chat with andrew sampson he's he's a ripper uh he knows everything as we said off the top of the show and, and it was great to finally get him on with us we'll do another couple of versions of nerd pledge quiz as we get through the back end of the english summer and jeff if you want to be part of it the best way of doing so is becoming a patron that's right you can go to finalwordcricket.com uh, and find the link to the patron page or you can go there directly patron.com slash the final word uh, and you can set us a nerd pledge number or you can set us a normal number whatever you want to do i suppose it's going to be difficult if anybody's nerd pledge number they desperately want to put in is like 200 200 because we won't know but these are the perils of modern life i suppose they, no one can be happy all the time They're steve war fans see big steve war fans <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Dizzy Gillespie's got him covered and we very nearly got VVS Laxman covered we're, we're put, trying to get to that 281 um, subscribers and we're, we're not far away now, we're about 10 away I reckon so we're, we're well ideas? on track Yeah, if you've got an idea as to what you want Jeff and or I to do when we hit 281 send it through, we're not, we're, obviously we don't mind embarrassing ourselves We're not we? shy, we're not shy, we've, neither of us are wearing pants doing this podcast Never right do. now Never do <laughs> Oh, do our best work without restrictions. There's a reason we we're both getting fired. Anyway, it's um, been a long summer. It's been a long summer, and uh, it's probably been a quite a long show too. Come to think of it, it's so been quite might, a long show. Let's wrap it up. Do you know what I was thinking today, Adam? I was like, ah, oh, we're nearly done. We're on the home stretch. There are only three test matches to go, and then I thought. Three test matches is usually an entire series. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. normally the start. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're 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 on the treadmill, aren't we? Sat Phone Shop. Thanks to them for sponsoring yeah. the show. Thanks to Jay Mueller and Bad Producer Productions. Thanks to those who've jumped on iTunes and given us a review and a rating. Thanks to everyone for the very kind words about the the uh, the live show and indeed the the daily shows we did at Lords. One of them, I think, day four went absolutely bananas for the, the Smith versus Archer afternoon. Keep yeah. tuning into those. Thanks to our patrons. Thanks to Kookaburra Cricket for the guests they get for us time and time again. Um, we, we, are, we are running an operation here which is supported by a lot of people and we're ever so grateful for it. I'd just like to give thanks just in general, just a broad sort of world-encompassing thanks. I think gratitude is something that we need more of. Yep, well said. Nice way to leave it. Final word, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon, talk to you tomorrow on The Daily Show and then again next week with a special guest. We'll never Final leave your phone. Word weekly. Till then, bye. I had to go about it.